Would you guys grab your devotionals? Let's pop these open to Romans. If you're um, following along in the YouVersion app, Bible app, you can find all of this here. Uh, I want to point your attention really quickly before we get started to um, a website that we've offered for you guys. If you go to cbc.family slash Romans, you'll find all of the additional material um, there. You can find Bible study. You can find like a, there's a, a great video by the Bible Project that explains the first four chapters of Romans, which is what we're tasking you guys with reading this week. During the week, there's a weekly Bible study um, where each day you're going to read a portion of Romans and, and have some sort of activity involved with it. I'm going to be posting some of my notes there. Um, we've also got all of the commentaries, all of the books that I've read in preparation for this series. You can go there and buy them if you just feel so inclined. Um, I also could let you borrow it, but I've only got one, so you know what I'm saying? So if, if you want to go buy, buy like a $40 commentary, you go, go for it. Go for it, absolutely. Have, have so much fun with these. I'm telling you, some of these books are like, <laughs> they're like this big. It's crazy. Um, but you can go buy them there. There's a couple other books. I do want to point out one uh, by an author named Shane Pruitt. It's a evangelism daily Bible study, which I've not ever heard of before. Um, I, I've, not ever, I've heard of books that you know, instruct you in evangelism, but I've not heard of a daily Bible study that kind of preps your heart to be in prayer and to be thinking through what evangelism could look like. And it's a nine-week evangelistic, um, I think it's called Evangelism Takes Hold or something like that. And so check those out, uh, cbc.family slash Romans. You can find it there. It's probably linked in the sermon notes as well if you want to click on the link there. Before we jump right into this book, I want to pause just for a moment and and pray. I don't want to take off yet uh, before we've hitched the trailer, okay? Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you today. Thank you for uh, this, this letter to the Romans. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for um, the beauty that this letter is and what it stands for and its significance, not only to the ancient world, but to to us today. I'm praying for personal revival on each person in the room as we study this book for the next weeks. I'm praying for our hands and our feet to be enabled by the gospel that we might go and share with our community the life-changing power that is Jesus Christ. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, you guys ready? All right, a couple of us are ready. I'm not going to do this second question, that's weird to me. Okay, Paul makes a brief visit to Corinth. Um, You've got two letters in your Bible. You've got 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Paul, on his third and final missionary journey, writes these ahead of himself so that he sends them off ahead of his his visit to the Corinthian church so that he can kind of handle some of the issues that that is going on in the church. If you've read 1 and 2 Corinthians, you know that it's a mess. It's a mess. And so Paul, on his final missionary journey, ends his, ends his journey in Corinth, and he's headed there to visit with the disciples. He stays there for about three months, and I got to thinking to myself, what would it be like if a, a team of us went to uh, India for three months? What would we do? What would it look like? I imagine it would look like a lot of discipleship training. I imagine there would be so many people to train in discipleship. I imagine there would be lots of moments where we would get to share the gospel at like a worship concert or whatever. But then I also think that probably we would just walk around with our disciples and go meet people in the neighborhoods. And we would go meet people in the villages and in the cities that we were visiting. And we would just go build relationships with people. Who's been to India in here? 
Am I, am I, is this accurate so far? Kind of the picture I'm painting of what we do in India? Just, but it, can you just imagine three months staying there and, and having a chance to hang out with Ezekiel and hang out with all of our wonderful people that we know in India? And this is what Paul's doing. He's there training in discipleship. He's evangelizing. He's dealing with the specific church issues that he's writing about in First and Second Corinthians. And, and while he's there, he writes this letter. Somebody write in your, uh, you can go to pop open your, your journal and write just here on the front. Let's do the first page right here. You've got Romans and then you've got your first study lines over here, right? A.D. 55 and 56. This is when the book is written. A.D. 55 and 56. He's in Corinth and he's looking ahead and he's also kind of looking behind. In Corinth, geographically, it's about the middle of the road between Jerusalem where he's from, and Rome, where he wants to go, okay? And so he has a choice right now. I can either head on to Rome, I can press on to Rome, and then eventually on to Spain, because that's really where his heart is. He, he only wants to stop off in Rome, but really he wants to head on to Spain because Spain is really the Wild West. That's really where the next great adventure lies for Paul. He really wants to head on to a place that's never heard the gospel before. And in fact, what Paul himself says in Romans chapter 15, verses 23 through 25 is that there is nowhere else for him to share the gospel. He has exhaustively shared it, he and his disciples, in all of the regions between Jerusalem to Corinth. And so now the next place that he can only go is the Wild West, Spain. Have you ever guys thought about Spain being the Wild West? It was at one time. Okay? Paul wants to head there. Let's look in Romans 15, 23 through 25. It says, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. I like that Paul just adds that at the end. Uh, See, whatever you do in Rome, uh, you know what I'm saying, while you're there, that's what Paul wants to do. Uh, And so he's going to hang out with the Romans. He's going to evangelize. He's going to preach a little bit. He's probably going to get to know some of these people that he's been hearing about from his friends Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Paul has never been to Rome. All of the other letters that we have from Paul in our New Testament have been written to churches that he personally planted or that he personally installed a pastor in. So the other letters that you see in your New Testament from Paul are specific issue-driven letters. They are answering questions. They are talking specifically to things that that church specifically is dealing with. Romans is kind of like a blank check for Paul. And it's why it's one of the most incredibly written books by Paul, because it has probably the most concise picture of Paul's theology. Is this making sense so far? And so in Romans, or while he's in Corinth rather, he's writing off to a people that he does not yet know. He's not yet met these people. Now, he has met some people because in AD 49, Emperor Claudius put out an edict that banned Jews altogether from Rome. No, no Jew was allowed to be in Rome, and so the Jews that fled Rome, some of them being Christians, eventually meet up with Paul. And in fact, Paul's great ministry partners, Priscilla and Aquila, you'll find their names in Acts and all over Paul's letters, Priscilla and Aquila were from the Roman church. I don't know whether they were saved in the Roman church. I don't know if they were at Peter's first sermon in Pentecost. Wouldn't that be wild? if they were saved at Peter's first sermon, A.D. 33, head on to Rome and plant a church. And then that church from there gets spread out, and now they get to meet Apollos and Paul 
later on in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila, in Acts, they teach a young man named Apollos who had not yet heard about Jesus but knew John's baptism. He knew that you were supposed to repent for the kingdom of heaven was near, the Messiah is coming. That's all that he knew and that was what he was preaching about. And what the scriptures tell us and what tradition tells us is that Apollos was a mighty speaker, better than Paul even. He was a mighty speaker. People loved to listen to Apollos. And Priscilla and Aquila sat down Apollos one day and said, hey man, you don't have the full story. And he said, oh my gosh, what do you, what do you mean? And they filled him in about Jesus. Priscilla and Aquila enable one of the best orators, one of the best sermonizers, I don't know how you want to say that, uh, one of the best speakers in the New Testament church with the fullest picture of the gospel. These are important people. Priscilla and Aquila are filling in Paul about specific names, specific people, and maybe a couple of issues that might be facing the Roman church. And so Paul, wanting to save some time before he heads to Rome, writes a letter to them. He writes in order to establish connection with these people. And he writes to create level ground with these people. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may Uh, now at least succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Mm, That is, that we may mutually be encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. And so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so Paul, basically laying out, this is why I'm writing to you guys. This is is my purpose. I want to establish connection. I want to create level ground. Instead of showing up in Rome and spending months or years getting you guys to the place that I'm at, instead of spending months and years doing busy work for you guys to catch up to the mission of Christ, which is to go share the gospel everywhere we are, and everywhere we could be going, I want you to have some level ground with me. That way when I show up, we're ready to hit the ground running. This is Paul's intent and purpose in writing the letter to the Romans. He wants to go right then. He wants to go right then. His His heart has been for Rome for a long time. His heart has been to head off to Spain for a while. Paul's an adventurous kind of guy. Paul has, um, Paul has traveled all over, uh, uh, the, the, like, around the Mediterranean Ocean, okay, Mediterranean Sea. He's traveled all over that area. He's met so many people, had so many different experiences. He's kind of an adventurous guy. He likes to show up at places and preach gospels at people that don't want to hear it. Uh, he's, he's not really in-your-face rude or anything like that, but he's just very bold and very courageous. There have been stories where he's in chains and singing, and earthquakes happen. Anybody else? Okay, uh, there are stories of, of his handkerchiefs healing people, used tissue, healing people. There are stories where demons say, "I know who Jesus is, I know who Paul is, but I don't know who you are." And then they beat the snot out of the guys that are trying to exercise the demon. I, I love stuff like this. Paul has at one time gone into a city and been praised as the god Zeus, and they try to they try to worship and sacrifice to him. He says, "No, no, no, no I, I'm trying to tell you about the real God." And they take him out. Side of the city, and they try to kill him by stoning him to death. 
Paul has had quite a life. These are just some of the things that Paul has done. These are just some of the things that we know about from the book of Acts. All right, and Paul has this grand idea. He wants to go on to the next adventure on into Spain, but he doesn't want to waste time. He learned that a woman named Phoebe, a wealthy deacon of the church of Chintria, a nearby city about eight miles away from Corinth, would be visiting Rome shortly. He hands the letter to Phoebe. Now, you've got to understand the weight of that moment. Paul hands a letter to a woman. Now, to us, we, would not, we wouldn't bat our eyes because culturally, uh, women are praised and loved. But in Paul's day, uh, women were utility. They weren't valuable in the same sense that they are today. And so for Paul to have handed a letter to the deacon Phoebe says a lot about her and says a lot about Paul. And so she takes the letter. I wonder if they knew in that moment the significance of this letter as she begins to travel from Corinth to Rome. I wonder if they understood the significance of the letter both then and now. Either way, Phoebe carried with her in the folds of her robes the future of Christianity. I imagine a calloused old man. Paul's about, eh, okay, he's not old. He's 60, all right? He's 60. He's not old. But I imagine a calloused man, the age of 60, with many scars and many more miles, seated next to his friend Tertius. Tertius is the one who actually penned the book. Paul, a tent maker by trade, has mangled hands. Who's ever sewn before? How many times have you poked your finger? Uh-huh. Now, now, now imagine not working with soft, smooth cotton, but with really quickly worked tanned leather. And you have to do this all by hand. This is Paul. He's got worked hands, but he still has a mind that works. And so while he can't write, and in fact, there's other letters where Paul writes, he says, you look now on this letter, I am writing with my own hands. Imagine like a, a kindergartner's scribble. That's Paul's writing. That's what he wants to convey to the people because his hands are so mangled, so used, he's so weather-worn that he sits down next to his friend Tertius and Tertius busily writes as Paul dictates to him what he once said to the church of Rome. A lifetime full of experience, full of travel, full of knowledge begins to pour out of Tertius' pen. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Somebody circle gospel in your, in your devotional book here. Somebody circle that. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Somebody underline by his resurrection from the dead. Why does any of this matter to us? Paul tells us. Because Jesus proved himself to be Lord. Jesus proved himself to be Messiah by his resurrection from the dead. Verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Catch verse 7, this is important. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, 25 years earlier, 25 years before the writing of this letter, had papers to go and kill Christians. He had legal notice to go and round up Christians, imprison them, torture them, kill them. Paul, 25 years before the writing of this letter, hated Rome and all that it stood for. Paul hated the Romans because they were usurpers who took the power out of his, uh, uh, out of his political area in Jerusalem. They, they owned the world really well, the Western world. And Paul hated Romans. Paul hated the Italian people. And here he is, 25 years later, the gospel so has transformed his heart that he's now writing in verse 7, to those in Rome who are loved by God. Mm. Grace and peace to you. A man who at one time, like Pastor Chris Knowles was preaching last Sunday, who was breathing threats in and out, now breathes grace and peace to the Roman believers. With this letter, we get Paul's synthesis of the whole Old Testament. Paul will quote Old Testament scripture all throughout this book, and we're going to examine those as we go. But with this letter, we get Paul's synthesis of the Old Testament and Jesus' life all in one spot. You may wonder why this book is so important and why I'm spending time telling you about all this information. It's because this book, historically, has been the spark of any revival ever. Because it is, as Martin Luther will say, purest gospel. Somebody say purest gospel. Paul, in the book of Romans, says some of the most precious words that we have in our entire New Testament. Romans 1 through 16, and seven, sorry, 1, 16 and 17, some of the most beautiful verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Even that last quotation there in verse 17 is from Habakkuk 2.4. Paul is quoting what the New Testament what was always pointing towards, which was a Messiah which was Jesus Christ, that one day we would no longer have to fulfill the law, but rather we could place our faith, our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ, and we would be granted his righteousness. Hmm. As we examine this book for the next several weeks, I want us to get one thing down, the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. Uh, This is our central message. This is our central message I want us to fast forward about 1,500 years from the the time of Paul's writing. The Catholic Church, which really is the only church, at at least in the Western world, it's the only church at this point, so don't feel like I'm just specifically dogging on the Catholic Church or whatever. I'm not doing that, but it's just, it's the church, okay? So the Catholic Church had repeated a model over and over and over and over again over the span of 1,500 years' time, and there was some some, uh, uh, missed measurement when they looked back at the New Testament church. So the church in, in 1500 had lost the gospel. See, the church was teaching that salvation happened as a result of your obedience. You received God's righteousness as you lived it out. Faith was granted to you the more righteous you were. Your entry to eternal life was based upon how obedient you had been to the law. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, the reason you've heard about Jesus, 
The reason you have a Bible in your hands battled with this phrase we just read from Romans 1.17 in his mind, the righteous shall live by faith. Luther read these verses and he was drawn not to the word faith but to the word righteous. Who after all could live by faith but those who were already righteous? This is what he reasoned in his head. He remarked, I hated the word, the righteousness of God, that God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. The young Luther could not live by faith because he was not righteous and he knew it. In fact, he was an Augustinian monk. Um, who's seen Da Vinci Code? Okay, several of us in here. Good. Okay, so you guys know uh, the point in the movie where that, where that monk guy is whipping himself on the back? You guys know what I'm talking about? That's called self-flagellation. This was one of Luther's practices. He was so holy. He was so righteous, so obedient to the law that he wanted to purge out the sin in his life, and so he would even hit himself, whip himself in the back. A strict order of monks that Luther was a part of, and even he did not feel as though he measured up to the righteousness of God. After years of much prayer, meditation, and struggle, Luther discovered the true meaning of God's word. The, uh, he says this, Then finally, God had mercy on me, and I began to understand that the righteousness of God is a gift of God, by which a righteous man lives. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, indicating that the merciful God justifies us by faith. This is what he says. Now I felt as though I had been reborn altogether and had entered paradise. The words he once hated, he says now, I lovingly praised the most pleasant words. See, what Luther realized through the book of Romans is that we are not made righteous by our effort, but by faith Alone. Somebody say faith alone. Luther had rediscovered the gospel for himself. The following year, Luther would pen his famous 95 theses. These he nailed to the door of his local Catholic church, and they were his many grievances against what was wrong in the church at the time. He hoped for reconciliation. He hoped for revival. He hoped for reformation within the church his goal was not to split anything, to create new denominations and to create issue back and forth. That was not his intent. His intent was to go back to the gospel. And in his reading of Romans, he found the gospel, but the Catholic Church resisted. There was a power structure at play, and they would have lost their power. And so the Catholic Church resisted, and Luther would break fellowship with the Catholic Church because they had lost the gospel. Shortly after... Martin Luther would begin what we know as the Reformation, and it would reclaim the gospel for you and I. It would reclaim the gospel for you and I. This is what Luther says about the book of Romans. He wrote a preface, which we've actually linked on the website. You can go and read it this week. It's beautiful words. He says, we've, uh, sorry, he says this letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. This letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel. Somebody say purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's life not only to memorize it word for word. You guys there yet? <laughs> Me neither. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Pause for a minute. Why am I telling you all this stuff? Here's my thought. 
before I started reading about Romans and all the commentaries and started to research it for this sermon series, I thought all these pastors who preach on Romans for like five years or whatever, they're just flexing their theological knowledge. That's what I thought. I thought they were just flexing on the congregation. You know what I'm saying? They're sitting up there going, yeah, I'm going to use this word, pal. And I thought that's what they, I thought that's what they were trying to do. And what I realized, though, through reading this book, and what I realized through reading the history of our faith, the great men and women who came to know the Lord and serve him with fervor found it here. They found it here. They found Paul's concise, pure gospel. And it enabled them and it charged them and it challenged them to not only sit on the knowledge of God, but to live it out. Romans is important. Romans is important. I want us to fast forward about 502 years to where you and I sit right here today. With a culture that every day becomes more ideologically opposed to New Testament Christianity, we, the church, we, Cornerstone, have an opportunity to reclaim the true gospel. We have an opportunity, Cornerstone, to reclaim the gospel. Somebody look back with me at Romans 1.16. If you hadn't already underlined these or highlighted these verses, you should. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the very power of God to transform someone. Through the message of the gospel, a person can be transferred from spiritual death to life. And not just eternal life once our physical bodies quit on us, but life here and now. Full and abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10, 10. See, the gospel isn't merely a set of ideas. It's not merely a story about a guy that lived a long time ago. No, it is about a person with whom we can have a relationship. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus. This person, by his sinless life, death on the cross, burial and resurrection, conquered sin and death on our behalf. That is the gospel, simple. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins would not, could not remain dead, three days later, rose out of the grave, defeating sin on our behalf, and now offers us, now offers us his resurrection life. That was your amen moment, I'm telling you right there. That is as good as it gets, that we get God's forgiveness. We get righteousness by faith through what Jesus has done on the cross and through his resurrection Now, Jesus didn't just do that one time and said, okay, you guys got it, take care of it. Rather, he is still very active and very much alive. We just proclaimed those words in the song that we were singing, that Jesus is alive. He's still very much alive, I promise you. And he, through his spirit, is wooing people, calling them towards knowing him in a relationship. See, the gospel is not just a Sunday school lesson that we heard one time and prayed about. No, it is, not the, the, it is not the basics of our faith that we then leave and then head on to this real, the really serious stuff like revelations. No, it's, it's, not, it, it's not the simple thing. It is the thing. In fact, the gospel is the reality that we live in the more we grow with Christ. 
the more that we can internalize, put in our hearts and in our minds that Jesus saved me from my sin and now puts me on mission with him, the more I'm going to walk gratefully, the more I'm going to love others, the more I'm going to model his life. Does this make sense? The gospel is key for you and I. Cornerstone, you and I need to know and need to live the gospel. Romans 1, 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Once you have placed your faith in God, you've been proclaimed righteous. And now that is how we live. For the past six years, our church has focused on reclaiming spiritual maturity and a thriving life in Jesus through discipleship. And hear me, our church will forever remain faithful to that call. It is what Jesus told us before he ascended into heaven. He said, go and, thank y'all, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. This is our great commission. This is what we've been called to do. Not just pastors, but every single believer. We are called to go and make disciples. And a branch of discipleship is sharing the gospel. It is evangelism. It is sharing this message of Jesus. It is getting somebody connected with a relationship to Jesus. That is the gospel. It cannot only be proclaimed in this room on Sunday mornings. That is a gross misuse of the power of God unto salvation. That we would just come in here and I would convince the people that don't need convincing that Jesus is alive and that he is the Messiah. You already know this. You already know this. Church is now a process of internalizing it. Now, to be fair and to be clear, we will proclaim the gospel in this room, amen? We will proclaim the gospel in this room. Absolutely, because it is our central message. It is our launch pad. But you and I don't need convincing that Jesus is the Messiah this morning. But listen, your neighbors do. Your coworkers do. Your kids dad, whom you play soccer with, you know what I'm saying, your kids play soccer or whatever, your kids' friend's dad, they need to know the gospel. Uh, The people that you interface with on a day-to-day basis, maybe there's family members that you have that don't know Jesus yet. Maybe there's friends that you have that don't know Jesus yet. These people need to know Jesus, and not because we need more moral people or we need more people to act like us because we think we have it all right. That's missed the gospel altogether. No, see, we want people to know Jesus because the gospel is the power of God to transform their lives. We don't need more moral people. We have a bunch of them. What we need is people who are connected with Jesus in a relationship who will be transformed into the new being that he calls us. That's what we need. We need people who are enabled with the spirit of God to go out, impact their communities, and share the message of Jesus Christ. We don't need more rules. We need more Jesus. That's what we need. Jesus says in Matthew 9, 37 through 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It is my earnest prayer that at Cornerstone, we would get out of the house and into the field. That's it. Why are we looking at Romans? That's why. Because Jesus has asked us to go and share the gospel message with people who are ready to hear it. I'm going to show you a stat next week from Barna that disproves that people don't want to hear about God. It's just not true. It's just not true that people don't want to hear about God. Even in our day and age, even in a culture that is in a lot of ways opposed to our value system. Even those people want to hear about God and want to have conversations with you about spirituality. It's just not true that people don't want to hear what you have to say about God. Here's a, strub- a troubling statistic. Here's a troubling statistic. Here's a troubling statistic. There we go. Millennials, my, my, my crew, uh, 95% of them say that Jesus has changed their life. He is the most important thing to them, period. He is truth. 45% of those 95 say that they will not share the gospel with someone because it might offend someone else's sensibilities. 45%, half of my, the, my age group, my bracket, half of my bracket says that sharing your faith in order that someone might come to be in a relationship with Jesus is morally wrong. We need to flip this script, Cornerstone. We need to flip this script. Listen, Paul lived in Ephesus for three years. He shared the gospel day in and day out. In fact, we know from history that he stood at the great library, the great crossroads of information at Ephesus, and he proclaimed the gospel almost daily. And yet in those three years, he did not one time blaspheme the goddess of the city, Artemis. And in fact, when they threw a riot because so many Christians were being made in Ephesus... Because all, now, now all the idol workers, all the people who made the statues of Artemis, they were losing business because there were so many Christians that were being made in Ephesus. Business began to be impacted by the Christians' new value system. They no longer bought the spell books. They no longer went to the temple and paid money to have their oracles told or their futures told. They no longer bought the idols of Artemis. Rather, they went and shared their goods with the New Testament believers. They spent their time and resources with one another. And they impacted people like the poor people who needed help. And they shared the gospel. And the like idol workers, the, the, the silversmiths, were freaking out. We've lost all our money. And so they throw a riot. And one of the officials of the city comes into Ephesus and says, Men of Athens, y'all need to be quiet right now or Rome's going to show up. And when Rome shows up, it's not a good deal. When Rome shows up, they crucify people. So you ought not to get crazy in here. He says, listen, listen, guys. Have these Christians said anything bad about Artemis? You could have heard a pin drop in the assembly. Because not once in three years of preaching the gospel did Paul ever talk about what he hates. He only talked about what he loved. And it was Jesus. And he shared the simple gospel, which is that Jesus loves you, has a future for you, and that he can forgive your sins if you'll just place your trust and faith in him. And in three years, no one had anything to say negatively about the disciples of Jesus. 
I wonder what Cornerstone would look like if that was our testimony. I wonder what Fort Worth would begin to look like if our testimony was that we were known for the gospel and not just for the things that we aren't about. What would it be like for our church to be some of the few laborers who go out? Not the cultural Christians who show up on a Sunday morning because you're supposed to, but people who are dedicated to Christ, who want others to be transformed by the power of God, which is the gospel. What would that look like? Will we be counted in the laborers? Or will we be those who sat back and watched it grow and said, oh, that's a, that's a really nice harvest. Man, that's a good one. And they never do anything about it. I want to be counted in the few. I want to be counted in the few. I want to be a part of those whom Jesus calls his laborers, a part of those who know the gospel so well that I'm ready to share it at any moment. See, Romans is vital for us to examine over the next weeks. It is vital for us to read deeply and to begin to apply the truth of it in our lives. It is vital for us to practice a gospel presentation so we have it ready whenever there's an opportunity that might arise. It is vital for us to begin to look outside of our everyday, ordinary routines in our lives and to begin to intentionally seek out those whose lives we can impact for Christ. Pastor preached just a a couple months ago about our relational circles. You guys remember the graphic that was was popped up there? Uh, And all the circles began to populate this giant screen up here showing you that just with a little bit of effort, a little bit of intentionality in the circles that you run in. I'm not talking about just trying to spread so far out and trying to reach just every single person you ever come in contact with. I'm talking about just the people that you interface with with on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. Even in those small circles, the impact of you sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus with somebody can have a lasting uh, ripple effect outside of yourself. This week... This week, I want you to begin to think about what it could be like if you shared the gospel with one person. I'm not talking, I'm not, hey, everyone take a breath. I didn't say tomorrow. I didn't say tomorrow. I didn't say you need to go right now and go share the gospel with somebody right now at lunch. Or, or If you feel so led, go ahead. No one's going to stop you. No one's going to be mad. Jesus is gonna, he's not going to be mad about that. But I'm just saying, I want you to put in your mind over these next weeks, what would it be like for me to be one of these few laborers who would go out and share the message of Jesus because I know it so well, because it's ingrained in my heart and because it's ingrained in my heart, it's lived out in my hands and in my feet. That's why I want us to look at Romans. Here's what I want you to do. On your first page, so you got like a little preface right there, then there's, then there's the Romans right there where it gets going. I want you to right here, just on the first page, there should be some pins in the pockets in front of you if you don't have them. If you don't have one of these devotionals yet, text yourself. Some of y'all are like, I don't know my number. <laughs> yeah, gone are the days of remembering that, right? So write this down. I want you to write down a person or several people's names who you know do not know the gospel. This is someone that you interface with, see on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, someone that you potentially could share the gospel with. I want you to write their name down. And if you're really artsy, which I'm not, which is why I just wrote some words here, but if you're artsy, draw some circles and label those circles, family, friends, workplace, school, Starbucks. I don't know where you hang out or where you spend a lot of time. 
But wherever it is, draw those circles and begin to plot names on your circles. This might be a revealing exercise for us. Do we know any lost people? For me, I have one name. Okay, so I want you to, I want you to see that I, I didn't write like a big long list here because I'm just the most holy person in the world. I'm not. I'm just me. Okay? And I wrote down the one person that I interface with quite a bit. His name is Juan. He lives next door to me. And I want him and his family to know Jesus. Because, because I know that there is health and that there's healing and that there's wholeness and that there's victory in knowing Jesus personally. And so I want you to write down somebody's name here because I want to see Juan's life transformed to know Jesus. And I want that to happen because of the relationship that I've built with him and the time that we've spent together. I want you to write down some names. Here's what I want us to do over the next week. I don't want us to just pray that God would impact them. God, just send somebody. Send somebody in their life who knows Jesus, who can articulate the gospel and can love them well. Listen, Acts chapter 17, Paul gives a discourse to, to the Athenian believers, uh, not to the Athenian believers, just to the Athenians. And he tells them, listen, God marked out where you would live, the time that you would live in, the family that you would be a part of, because, because God wants you to seek him wherever you are. And here's the reality, he's not far from any one of you. That's what Paul tells us. You know why God's not far from your neighbors? Because you're next door. You know why God's not far from your coworkers? Because you're in the cubicle next to them. You know why God's not far students from your friends? Because you walk the halls with them. God is not far from anyone because he's living in you and you can go and share. This is what we should be praying for, not just for them to hear the gospel, but for our opportunity to build relationships. We should be in prayer for creative ways to engage with them. You're like, how do I even talk to my neighbors? I don't know. Do, do they like food? I imagine. Maybe they like music. I don't know what they like. There's a couple things that people like. Music, food, um, hanging out with one another, and games. Okay? Lots of people around here like the Cowboys. Why don't you host a Cowboys watching party when they, when they you know, come around? You know what I'm saying? I don't know what it looks like in your, in your context. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I know that there are neighbors and that there are coworkers and that there are people that you are around who do not know Jesus because he told us the harvest is plentiful. It's white. It's ready. Will you go out and share it? Pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance for these upcoming conversations that you're going to have. We don't go anywhere unless we go with him. And when we try to go without him, it never works. Pray with your family or with your spouse or with your prayer partners for the people that you are starting to write and starting to think about on your list. We already talked about the, the Romans website that I want you to reference this week. Go and study more. Go and study more. Go and, go and look at some of these uh, devotionals and some of these commentaries to learn and gain more from the scriptures. I promise you, you'll be blessed as you read them. I certainly was. We had a couple books on there that are extra reading as well. We've got a website link there that will also help you understand Romans as you read through it. I'll also be posting some, some notes and some, some explanations of what we're going to be reading as we're coming up uh, in the next several weeks. Uh, I, I do want you, I want you to go, though, and check out the Bible Project link that we have listed there. It's going to show you Romans chapters 1 through 4 in just this really broad, like, 8-minute video, maybe 6-minute video. Um, and I know that, like, 
you, you just heard me say six-minute video, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's so long. Whatever. You guys, like, binge-watch 30 episodes of Netflix until, like, 4 a.m. Don't tell me. Don't tell me a six-minute video is too long to watch on Romans, okay? Go home and watch this Romans, chapters 1 through 4. It'll give you just this beautiful arc of what Romans is about and what the first four chapters are about. So as you read, you won't be confused. And, it's, and, it's, and some of you guys are artsy and you're like, it's just someone talking at me. No, it's actually going to be like drawn out pictures while the guy's talking. So you get to see something while you get to listen as well. Okay, so check that video out. I promise you you'll be blessed by it. Here's how we're going to wrap up today. I want to pray for a few moments. Imagine that. We just, we just talked about it. You, you, we don't go anywhere unless we go with God. Or we go somewhere, but we don't. Well, it's like a treadmill. We'll just keep running, but we're not going anywhere. We're just plodding in place. And we're striving and we're exercising really hard. But we're not going to get anywhere unless we go with Jesus. We teach this in discipleship all the time. There's God's part. There's my part. And then there's their part. So in a spiritual life, uh, in a spiritual moment, there are three things that are happening. There's God's part. We're going to pray here in a moment and just thank him that he's fulfilling his part 100%. He is doing his part for people to come to know Jesus and for people to grow to be like Jesus. He is doing his part 100% well. Yeah, absolutely, we're going to pray for people's hearts to be prepared, that we might go out and, and want, they would be ready to hear the gospel message as soon as we're ready to share it. Absolutely, we're going to pray for that moment and for them, of course. Of course, we're going to pray for their family and for situations uh, and circumstances to be moved to where God would be in their minds and in their hearts before you ever speak to them. Of course we're going to pray for that. Of course we are. Here's what I'm thinking, though. My biggest hurdle to sharing the gospel is not God's part or their part. I'm my biggest hurdle to sharing the gospel. I don't know if you're like me, but, but I am. I'm, I'm the biggest hurdle to looking outside of myself, being intentional with people around me, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because it's uncomfortable. It feels kind of weird, and I don't know what they're going to say, and I don't know what kind of questions they're asking, and I don't, and I don't know if I'm going to say the words really, really well or whatever. I, I, I know my heart, and so maybe you're like me. Maybe it feels uncomfortable to think about sharing the gospel with people, and so I think what we should do is I'm going to pray for me and, and for us for a few moments to ask for boldness and courage. Paul didn't write this letter in vain. I promise you that as you read it, I promise you that as you begin to think about how to apply it in your lives, how, how the gospel interacts with every moment of your day, I promise you that you will begin to be revitalized in your faith to seek God in a new and impactful way. And I guarantee you God's doing his part on that. The Holy Spirit will want to speak to you. The Holy Spirit will want to reveal things to you, to show new things to you, to have you experience him in new ways. Here's what happened to me. I was just at a pancake house. I don't even remember the name of it. It doesn't matter. I was just at a pancake house the other day. I was with Brian uh, Thomas and my wife, and, and I was at the register, and I don't know why I felt this way, but I felt compelled to tell her God loves you. That what, and, and I'm like not that guy. Like, I'm a cynic, you know what I'm saying, like, at heart. Like, I'm a cynic, and I'm, and I'm sarcastic, and I'm a little bit bitey. That's really who I am at heart. Uh, I'm kind of a jokester more than I am someone who's, who's like, really sincere that way, necessarily. And, and so I, I just felt this impulse. Rachel was paying for the, the meal, and uh, she had a little, some cash. She was getting back and change, and we'd already tipped our waitress. 
uh, by the way, Christians tip your waitresses. Oh my goodness, this shouldn't even be anything. And so then I reached into the wallet and I grabbed out an extra five and I looked at her and I said, this is just for you. We've already tipped our waitresses just for you. God loves you. And then because I felt so awkward, uh, I like took Asher and like left. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't even stay to hang out to like see the fallout of that moment. (laughs) You can ask Brian and, and Rachel. I'm sure my face was red and my ears were hot. I'm sure. I'm sure I just looked the most awkward person in the world because I was. I said, God loves you. And I was like, okay, I gotta leave. They told me, and it's not to tout myself or to toot my own horn, I'm, I'm not so holy. But here's what happened the morning before we got to pancakes. Brian and I just sat and talked about the Lord for a little while. That's it. And so I was ready to hear what God had to tell me. Because I'd just spoken with Brian and I'd spoken with God and I mean I was charged up. And because I was charged up, I was ready to hear a prompting of the Holy Spirit that made me feel so awkward. But I think it made an impact in her life. Maybe her name needs to go on my list. Whatever it is. I don't even know her name. <laughs> I don't know. I know what she looks like. Maybe I need to write the pancake girl on here. She may not appreciate that nickname. I'll, I'll, I'll learn her name, okay? Maybe I need to go and invest in, in her a little bit. Maybe I need to go, I don't know, invite her to church, build a relationship with her. I, I don't know what it looks like. But I know that just like Paul, every day could be an adventure. Every day could be an adventure. Every day doesn't have to be just mundane and ordinary and oh, I'm awake again. It doesn't have to be. Now, there are those days. Of course there are. And I'm not nullifying those or saying those aren't you know, a part of your story. Of course they are. But it doesn't have to be that way. God has given us a task, and it is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for a few moments. I'm going to pray for a few moments for us. I'm going to pray for Cornerstone. I'm going to pray for each of our hearts that God would move us to something more. Let's pray. Father, you told us the harvest is plentiful. People are ready to hear about you. People are ready to hear from you. People are ready. Are we? Would you reveal to us, would you reveal to us, Lord, names, would you reveal to us people in our circles of influence that we need to impact? Before we take off and have these big evangelistic thoughts and, and these, big, these big hoorah moments with you right now, which I, I love and, and, and would encourage, before we do that, God, just help us to, to ingrain the gospel in our own lives first. Help us to... to to know the gospel so well in our own hearts and own minds that we live out of this joy that we have God's presence living in us, that we, with the Holy Spirit, get to partner with you every day on this mission to impact people for your kingdom. You've told us from your word that there are two different places at play. There's the world and there's your kingdom. And you've told us to seek your kingdom first. Seek your righteousness. May we seek your righteousness this week and the next weeks as we look through the book of Romans, God. 
give us understanding and give us clarity to see what you are particularly saying to my heart and to the hearts of the people in this room, God. May we not leave this place the same people. How could we be? How could we be knowing that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance and leads us to a life lived for you? Help us, help us, God, to understand and to know and to experience anew your spirit and your presence. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in here today, the gospel is this. Jesus loves you. He's forgiven you of your sins. And all you have to do is stretch your hand out and accept this forgiveness. By faith, trust in him that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he can say he can do, which is forgive you and give you new life and purpose. If you have not yet accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, would you just make these words your own? I'm just going to pray. And you make these words your own. Dear God, thank you that you see me and that you know me. Thank you that you love me. That you've not forgotten me. That you've not left me alone. I know that I've not done everything perfectly right. I've, I've harmed people. I've, I've, I've broken relationships. I've, I've done things that go against what you would have in my life. I've sinned. But I believe and I trust that you died on the cross, that you've forgiven my sins. I accept and embrace you as my personal Savior. Would you help me to live for you? Would you help me to walk with you every day, to learn more from you, and to be on mission with you everywhere I go? If you prayed that prayer, would you let somebody know at the front this morning? Cornerstone, the, the stairs are open this morning. Your seats are available. God can hear you wherever you are. There's nothing especially holy about these stairs, but there is something especially holy about feet that want to walk for the Lord. This morning, would you spend some time in prayer as we sing? Would you spend some time in prayer during this invitation time asking God, what is next? Who is next? Who can I reach? If you want to join this church, if you want to be on mission with people who want to see people saved for the kingdom of God, you need to be a part of this church. Come to the front and join with us today. If you need to be baptized, if you want to proclaim that you know Jesus, that you have a relationship with him, and that he's changing your life, come and let us know at the front today. I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to sing. Father, thank you again for this time. Be with us in these moments. Holy Spirit, enable us to see what's next. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?